this weekend marks the anniversary of the 1973 U.S. Supreme Court decision that legalized abortion on demand. Why did seven of nine justices pronounce a death sentence on millions of unborn children? Was this history repeating itself? There is no constitutional right to execute an innocent. Everything in the history of the laws of our land points against it. This is Science, Scripture, and Salvation, a Creation Radio Journal. I'm Chris O'Brien with the Institute for Creation Research. The Declaration of Independence states that all men are created equal and are endowed by God with the rights to life and liberty. So why did the U.S. Supreme Court deny certain groups of people these unalienable rights? Please join us for the next 15 minutes as we discuss the evolutionary mindset behind two historic Supreme Court decisions that yielded serious nationwide consequences. Plus, we'll call into question the legality of the Roe v. Wade decision, as well as offer hope to those who suffer because of past abortion mistakes. Because we'll be discussing the grave realities of abortion and what it does to the baby involved, listener discretion is strongly advised. Doug Phillips is a constitutional attorney and founder of the Witherspoon School of Law and Public Policy. He gives us a straightforward definition of abortion. Abortion is the taking of the life of an unborn baby. It involves, under our modern practices, either cutting the baby up with a knife, using a saline procedure whereby the baby is burned to death, or a vacuum cleaner method in which the limbs and the arms of the baby are torn off its body. There is no anesthetic. There is no pain reliever. The baby is brutally killed within the womb. Now, the most recent practice of abortion, which is called partial birth abortion, involves partially delivering a child and literally opening its head and taking out its brain. In every way, these are the most gruesome and horrific forms of torture and execution that we know of in any modern practice that takes place today. And tragically, it has been given sanction by the United States Supreme Court. And what would have convinced the United States government to violate the right to life of these unborn babies? Without any question, the single greatest influence for evil on our legal justice system with respect to abortion has been the theory of evolution. Let me quote our former U.S. Supreme Court justice and common law commentator, Oliver Wendell Holmes, perhaps the most important jurist of the last 100 years. Oliver Wendell Holmes said this. He said, quote, I see no reason for attributing to man a significance in kind from that which belongs to a baboon or a grain of sand. Now, what did he mean by that? He simply meant that in a Darwinistic world, an evolutionary world, there really is nothing special about humanity, nothing special about life. And, of course, this led the Supreme Court justice uh, to make some remarkable decisions. Constitutional attorney Barb Weller with the Christian Law Association agrees that the belief in evolution changed the mentality of the Supreme Court. People who don't believe in God and who want to get out under the thumb of God, so to speak, they don't want to recognize that they have to obey God because God created them and therefore he's their superior. So in the 1800s, when Charles Darwin's book came out in the 1850s, there were legal scholars who were just waiting for something like that to come along. And they were delighted at this concept of evolution because they figured if they could get evolution established as a science, then it would change everything. So, in 1890, Harvard became the first to establish a law school on the basis of evolution. We no longer had to be under a superior God who had the authority to tell us what to do. If we really were evolved and didn't have a creator, then legally we weren't obligated to follow God's law and we could make up our own laws as we went along. And so that's what started happening in 1890 when 
Harvard Law School began to teach the law from a progressive standard called the case method, where you would just change the law a little bit at a time, case by case, and gradually move the law to where you wanted it to be. And now that Darwin eliminated the need for a creator, that need was eliminated legally as well as scientifically, and therefore we no longer have to worry about what God wants, and we see where we've come to now in the country on that basis. There are two similar Supreme Court decisions that are famous in U.S. history. They each caused major emotional debate and political unrest. One was a factor in the Civil War. The other caused the deaths of millions of people. We're talking about the 1857 Dred Scott case and the 1973 Roe v. Wade decision. Now, although these two lawsuits were separated in time by over a hundred years, they both dealt with human rights and the Supreme Court made the same decision in each instance. Attorney Weller explains the cases and shows how even the language used in both decisions was similar. In the Dred Scott case, the court decided that slaves were property and that they had no rights that other citizens needed to confirm themselves with. That's what the court decided, and that's why they said that if slaves ran away, they had to be sent back to their masters because they really didn't have any rights even when they made their way uh, into the North. So the court at that time decided that black people, slaves, were not really citizens, people, with any rights. They were considered to be property. Well, the same thing happened in the Roe versus Wade case, although the justices would never admit to really following the precedent of Dred Scott. But basically what the court said in Roe versus Wade was that an unborn baby is not a person under the law, and therefore because the fetus is not a baby or a person before it's born. It has no rights that anyone else in society has to respect and therefore has no no right to life that the Supreme Court has to protect. It's basically the equivalent of being the property that the black slaves were back in um, 1857 when the Dred Scott decision was made. Dr. John Wilkie is president of the International Right to Life Federation and author of the book Abortion and Slavery, History Repeats. He says Roe versus Wade and Dred Scott are direct parallels. What they said then was that there is an entire class of living humans who are not given civil rights and who may even be killed by their owner if he wishes. And what was the mark? Well, it was black skin. Now we're saying there's an entire class of living humans who have no rights at all who may be killed by their owner, their mother. And how are we marking them? First place of residence, still living in the womb. So there is a direct comparison between slavery and abortion. And, interestingly, people in the 1800s that openly opposed slavery were labeled the same way as people in our generation who oppose abortion. If you objected to this, you were just had some kind of religious hang-up and, you know, just keep your opinion to yourself. The Supreme Court has settled the issue. And the way the court settled both issues was by defining what the Constitution meant by the word person. Attorney Weller. Basically, the, the court decision in Roe versus Wade involves the fact that it's the court who gets to decide when you're really a people, when you really become a person, and who really people are. And that was the problem both with Dred Scott and with Roe versus Wade, is that the court has determined that there's a class of 
people or fetuses or slaves who really aren't uh, people under the law, and therefore the people who own them, either the slain load or, or the mother, gets to decide whether they live or die. Doug Phillips. I say that whether we're talking about the skin color of a man, whether we're talking about his ethnic background, whether we're talking about the age of a human being, be he 90 years of age or two months in the womb, every single person is precious in the eyes of God. Every single person is created in the image of God. The lives of literally millions of future unborn babies were in the hands of the Supreme Court justices hearing the Roe v. Wade case. But did they have the right to choose in favor of abortion on demand? Doug Phillips says no. The question sometimes comes up, is Roe versus Wade legal? And the answer is, of course it's not legal, not even a little bit legal. If nine people, nine justices, all of a sudden declare by fiat that 50% of the United States would be executed, would that be a lawful decision? And the answer is no. And the reason why it's no is because no man can trump the higher moral law of God. God says, thou shalt not kill. And no court, no one, can ever make a ruling that you can just wipe someone out because a handful of people say that you can. It is the law of God which ultimately trumps the law of man, and no man may counteract the law of God. And God's law was not the only law ignored and violated when the justices voted to approve abortion on demand. There's another reason why Roe v. Wade was an unlawful decision, and that is that the court had no right to rule contrary to the Constitution. What does the Constitution say? The Constitution says that no person may be deprived of life or liberty without due process of law. The Supreme Court acted in a derelict manner, and every court since then, which has upheld Roe versus Wade, have violated their oath to uphold the Constitution, have supported a Nazi-like system of life extermination, and frankly, they should be removed for bad behavior. There is no constitutional right to execute an innocent. There is no common law right. In fact, everything in our Constitution, everything in the history of the laws of our land, points against it. Attorney Weller agrees that America's founding fathers understood the importance of the right to life. When the Declaration of Independence was drafted in America, our founders said that based on the rights from the Creator God to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, that the America was a nation that was going to recognize the rights that come from God, and the first one being the right to life of all people. In Deuteronomy chapter 30, we find Moses exhorting Israel to choose life that both thou and thy seed may live. Doug Phillips says this is something we all need to ponder. This is a defining issue of our day. Will we stand for life? Will we stand for the unborn? Will we stand against the evolutionary nonsense which says that, well, if you aren't quite as fully evolved as a human being, then you're not really a human being. Will we stand against that, or will we look back on this generation as a generation which, from a moral perspective, was little better than the Nazi regime which snuffed out the life of far fewer Jews? And those were some of my ancestors, Jews that were part of that. But far fewer Jews died in the ovens than children that have died in the wombs of their mothers in the United States of America. We've had a rather defining and serious discussion today on the topic of abortion. And although we as Christians do need to take a stand against the sin of abortion, we also want to be compassionate towards people who have suffered because of abortion. Doug Phillips says, God is a God of love and forgiveness.
I'm confident that today, listening on our radio show, is probably someone who may have actually participated in an abortion. Maybe you had an abortion as a young woman, or maybe you encouraged someone to have an abortion. And the answer is that God has a remedy to this heart sickness, which has affected you ever since then. In fact, Jesus Christ has given us a promise. All who will confess their sins, he is faithful and just to forgive their sins. There is no sin, nothing that you can commit that God will not forgive you of. In fact, God would say, enter into the kingdom of heaven. And the promise of salvation is open to all who will believe. As Romans 10.9 tells us, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. I would just urge all of our listeners out there to examine their heart. Are you right with your God and your Maker? And if you're not right, today is the day to confess your sins. Today is the day to come to the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ and to commit to Him that you will follow Him as Lord and Savior for the rest of your life. And that's my prayer for our listening audience today. As our program comes to a close, we hope that you've been encouraged. It's our desire at ICR to show that the Bible can be trusted, both historically and scientifically, and to give facts that will build your faith. As Christians, we need to understand the scientific basis for our beliefs. We pray that this program will aid you in your discovery of science and the Bible. You know, most people aren't aware that today there are thousands of scientists that are convinced of the truth of biblical creation and not evolution. Our non-denominational ministry aims to restore and strengthen the Genesis foundations of the Christian faith. If you've enjoyed today's edition of Science, Scripture, and Salvation, a Creation Radio Journal, why not visit us on the web to find out more about the work of ICR. The address is www.icr.org. Again, www.icr.org. Science, Scripture, and Salvation, a Creation Radio Journal, is a production of ICR. For the Institute for Creation Research, I'm Chris O'Brien. Thanks for tuning in.